You're listening to a Southside Baptist podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website, ssbaptistchurch.com. I want you to understand that when we look at this scene, this is a scene. When you look at the Garden of Eden, it is a a scene of what I would call perfection. It's a scene of uh, paradise. It's a scene of permission. God God looks at man, He looks at Adam and Eve, and He he puts them in the middle of just absolute perfection in paradise. And He says to them, He says, listen, you have your run... The, you have the run of the mill. You can, you, can, you can just literally explore this. And there was so much. And then God gives them warnings. He gives them a single warning. He sets a perimeter. And it's not long before the enemy slips in. I've told you this story before, but I remember my uncle and aunt, and they had a large family. They were living down on the Yazoo River, down near the river. And they were down there, and uh, I remember one day my dad and I went to visit in their home. There were catfish ponds and the river. And, and as we were going into the house, as we opened the door, we didn't realize it, but there was a large cottonmouth moccasin that was right beside the door. And when we opened the door, that big old snake scurried and ran right into the house. Well, my dad and I went running in behind him, screaming, there's a moccasin, there's a cottonmouth in the house, and that cottonmouth went in behind the TV. They began to jump up. Everybody, the women were, I think, up on top of the couches and the, and the uh, tables. And, 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 and we men began to, we were pulling out. We were pulling out the furniture, trying, that snake was moving around, going in and out of the furniture, going all over. And we had moved the couch, moved the TV. And finally, we, we were able to get the snake, locate the snake, and, and kill it and throw it away. Now, that picture, in some ways, is a picture of Eden. The enemy has come into this situation, this place of perfection and paradise, place where there's marriage and there's a family here, and, and the enemy slips in. Now, I want you to know something. Wouldn't it have been strange if my dad and I had walked in and said, well, you know, a big cottonmouth just... Of course, they saw the cottonmouth. My uncle saw him come in. Wouldn't it have been funny if, we'd have, if the men would have just said, well, you know, I don't think he's going to hurt anybody. Looked at the women and the kids, just said, look, y'all just relax. You don't hurt him, he won't hurt you. He's probably a pretty good snake, probably got a good nature. Just stay away from him, don't bother him. You see, that sounds silly to us. That doesn't even make sense. You see, our goal, our responsibility, even as a man, and even as a young man, as a teenager, was to find that snake, to locate it, and to move it out of the house. And so here we have the picture of perfection, and the enemy coming in. Here we have a marriage. This is a perfect marriage. It is ordained by God, created by God. This is the perfect couple. If there ever was a perfect marriage and a perfect couple, this was it. They had a condo in Eden. They were on an 18-hole golf course there. They were on a lake. They had an ocean view, river of life view. They had Man, they had the best of everything that a couple can have. Now let me say something real quick, a principle here. Things do not make a good marriage. Stuff doesn't make a good marriage. You can have all the stuff in the world and have an enormous amount of problems and the enemy sometimes will convince a couple, convince a man and a woman that if we just get enough stuff, 
if we get our finances straight, if we could just take care of this bill or that bill or get rid of this payment or that payment, then we'd be happy. Listen, your happiness is always in Christ. That's where your joy comes from. But I want two things I want you to see here. First of all, I want you to see this, that Satan had a plan here. Satan's plan. The first thing that Satan wants to do in your life and in my life and in this situation is what he says in John 10.10. He said he comes to kill, to steal, to destroy. Now that's what Jesus said about our enemy, the devil. He says our enemy comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Now listen, listen very closely in this marriage series. He comes to kill, to steal, to destroy your marriage. Your home. Dad, your relationship with your wife. Dad, your relationship with your children. Dad, your relationship with the people in that household. That's what he comes to do. Mom, that's what he comes to do. And so we see here that Satan slips in. Now he has a plan. His plan is to kill, to steal, and to destroy this picture of perfection. Now he enters into... a dialogue with Eve. This is not a group discussion. You never find him talking to Adam here. He's talking to Eve. He dialogues dialogues with Eve in an attempt, I believe, to divide and conquer. He ignores Adam. He ignores the man. Now the mistake is that we think sometimes that Adam must have been down at the Starbucks. He must have been sitting down at Starbucks with a paper and a cup of coffee. But in verse 6, I want you to see what it says here. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Now look at the next part of it. What did she do? She also gave some to who? To her husband who was with her and he ate it. You see, we've often thought, well, wait a minute, you know, what the enemy did was he pulled, he pulled Eve off by herself. He got her away from Adam, and I've heard people preach that. Well, that's not what the Hebrew here in verse 6 says. The Hebrew is translated that Adam was right there side by side. Eve is negotiating and dialoguing with the enemy of the Creator, God, And Adam is standing there listening. And my friend, he's not providing any leadership at this point. Ladies, there's a little something here. Let me me give you something to hang your hat on. If a man talks to you and he ignores your husband, get away from him. If you're ever talking, if a man ever comes up and he's talking to you as a couple... And he's talking to you while ignoring your husband, having nothing to do with your husband. Run! Because he is disrespectful to that man. And ladies, let me say something else. He is coming on to you. That's what he's doing. And that's a ploy of the enemy. But this is the enemy. He comes to kill, to steal, and destroy this marriage. Now secondly, Satan seeks to disregard and oppose and work against the order of the home. You know, today there's little order in homes. You ever notice that? You you, you have children today. You know, uh, 
Today, there's, there's little, order, little order in marriage, in homes, or anything anymore. Most families today are flying by the seat of their britches, catching a meal through McDonald's or whatever. There's no order. There's no sitting down and fellowshipping as a family anymore. Today, children run the home. Parents can't have a conversation without children interrupting. And hear me, parent. A child will run, control, dictate, and rule the home if, if, you, home if you'll allow it. There's an AT&T commercial out right now that I think is an attack against dad and against masculinity and against a father. Where it makes the dad look like some buffoon who's looking for a cord to plug in his computer because he doesn't understand what wireless is. And I want AT&T to know I don't get very good service out of them anyway. And I surely don't appreciate their commercial. I think it stinks. But you see, this is the enemy. The enemy comes to work against the order here in the home of Adam and Eve. He seeks to undermine it. Satan does not go after the man here. He goes after the woman. Why? Because he's trying to undermine the relationship between Adam and Eve. The structure and the accountability of this home. Let me say something here. Sheila is far more trusting than I am. She is. She'll believe any sales rep. I mean, a salesman can tell her anything. We'll go to a car lot and look around. She'll say, isn't he? He's just so nice. You know, like, he's just got to be the most trustworthy person in the world. Wasn't he nice? Or wasn't she a pleasant person? She was so sweet. Sheila, they're trying to make a deal. They'll tell you whatever they want to tell you. You see, if Sheila is more trusting, if we go to a car lot and she's more trusting, then who's the salesperson going to focus on? He's going to focus on her. He's going to pick up on that. And my friend, hear me, that's exactly what the enemy was doing here. He focuses on Eve because I believe Eve was more trusting. She said, well, maybe he's got got my goodwill. Maybe there's good intentions here. So she is here negotiating and dialoguing with the enemy. You know, Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy 2.14. You know what Paul said to Timothy? I think this is interesting. Anytime I go to 2 Timothy, everything in 2 Timothy catches my attention. I mean from the first word to the last one. Everything in 2 Timothy. Because in 2 Timothy, Paul is dying. He is in jail. He's getting ready to be killed, and he knows it. This is the last letter penned from Paul. Now look what Paul says here. Well, is that it? No. No, I'm in the wrong one. Maybe, I, maybe I'm, I'm going to have to check that one out. I think I got the wrong scripture. I'm looking for where Paul said uh, the woman was deceived and not Adam. You all could open your Bibles and be helping me here. It's 1 Timothy 2.14. Okay. Well, take your Bibles and look at 1 Timothy 2.14. Watch what Paul says here in 1 Timothy 2.14. And Adam was not the one who deceived, it was who? It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. You see, what Paul reminds us is the woman was deceived. By nature, a woman sees from the heart. A man tends to see from the head. A woman will be more trusting. She'll want to believe the good. A man will be more cautious because his nature is to protect. 
He tends to put his defenses up. He keeps his guard up. He views everything with a little bit of hesitation, with a little bit of questioning that trust, because he that's his nature. He's protecting. The enemy had done his homework here. He knew exactly who to approach, and he approaches the woman. So what does the enemy do? The enemy's plan to steal, to kill, to destroy my marriage, my home. Secondly, to break down the order that is in my home. He wants to undermine the order of the home. And ladies, I want you to hear me. Whether you like it or not, whether it's biblical, I mean, whether it's uh, socially acceptable today, God calls a woman to submit to that authority of that husband. She may say, well, you know, I don't, I don't know if, he, if he's always the smartest uh, french fry in the pack here. I don't know if he's the one that ought to make those decisions. Hear me. The Bible, does, the Bible asks you, the Bible tells you, the Bible commands you to submit to that authority. But you see, the enemy here undermines it. He breaks down that order. So there's Satan's plan. But then secondly, there's Satan's ploy. I believe that the enemy here is successful in making the man feel that he's not a man. If you look at verse 6, you get the idea here that you're looking at the Olsons at a little house. This looks like Harriet Olson and nails. When a woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. This sounds like Harriet Olson, who's sitting there with a mealy mouth, man, who's not standing up. Because it says, then she also gave some to her husband as if he were a small child sitting there submitting to her authority. You see, there's a breakdown of the order of the home here. And notice, what it, notice how it's worded here. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he did what? He ate it. Ladies, let me take a side road here. I think the enemy, and I said it last week, is winning in the area of masculinity, of being a man. The statement made last week was this, there is a war against masculinity and a celebration of femininity. This is why you're seeing so many men who are getting or or beginning to have feminine characteristics. You know, it's interesting that today we have unisex clothes. I don't know whether I wear a size 12 or a size 32. Yeah, I have a hard time, ladies, when I look at my blue jeans and see your size in them. When I, when I go to places and I'm looking at clothing and I'm not really sure, is this a man's clothes or is this a woman's? And there's great confusion today. There's a failure of order in the home. And there is a celebration of femininity. And for you that are raising boys, there is an assault today against masculinity. There is an absence of godly men in young men's lives that will bring direction. Today in the African-American community, nearly two-thirds, probably over two-thirds, nearly 70% of young African-American boys and girls are growing up today without a father. 
And statistically, it's not much better for the white community and the Hispanic community seeing a breakdown here. So ladies, the man, as we said last week, is critical to the home. And you have to help here. Now how can you do it? If there is an attack against masculinity, as we see here even in this case here of Adam. Now let me give you some things real quickly and then we'll close. Number one, give that man in your life the freedom to be a man. And your boys to be boys. We live in a day-to-day where everything is ADD, ADHD. My friend, I think a lot of that is nonsense. Boys are naturally more energetic than girls, and we have an educational system today in America today that just doesn't seem to take that into account anymore. Boys are made differently than girls. They don't act like girls, and they're not supposed to. Boys will be boys. That's what we were raised. John Eldridge, in his book, Wild at Heart, And I believe every woman ought to read that book. I had a woman who made this statement to me a couple of weeks ago. When she saw that book, she says, My husband cannot stand that book. Because it makes all men sound alike. And I thought to myself, I'm going to buy her a copy of that book and give it to her. Because if my husband couldn't stand a book... I would want to know why he didn't like it. It has sold over 2 million copies. In John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart, he says that every man desires three things in his life. Ladies, are you listening? A battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. And ain't a woman writing probably. Every man desires three things in his life. A battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. And some women may say, well, I don't know. My little Rufus is different. No, he's not. Because your little Rufus that you're married to was once playing war, playing cowboys and Indians, and showing off in front of the girls. And every day was an adventure in that boy's life when he was a young boy growing up. So ladies, let him, give him the freedom to be a man. Adam at this point is not a man. He is failing to provide leadership here. Secondly, ladies, be in their corner, on their side, involved in their lives. I I, I love this story. Gary Blakeney, who used to be on staff here. Gary Blakeney said years ago, and you know Gary's a big old tough guy, you know. He said years ago, back when he and Jody, which is his wife, were young, they went to a Mississippi State ball game. And some guy kind of smarted off or whatever, and it turned into a confrontation. And and Gary, he was about ready to take this guy out. I mean, Gary was mad. And a a friend of his kind of, you know, a couple guys grabbed and said, Look, man, come on, Gary, don't, don't, don't let the guy, you know, you don't need to get in a fight and whatever. Gary said about the time he turned around, he heard this commotion. He turned around and Jody had jumped up on top of this guy's head and was pounding him on the head. You know, now they may be taking it overboard, but, you know, there's the idea there of being in their corner. Ladies being on their side, involved in their life. Catherine Booth was a perfect example of this. When William Booth was being admonished by his denominational leadership, 
when they told him he could no longer go into the red light districts, into the tough areas of London, taking the gospel, they were putting... I mean, man, the, the, the place was packed. They had him on trial. And in the middle of that, when they said, when they, were, when they looked at William Booth and they said, William, you're going to give us an answer. You're going to agree now. You're not going to go in these areas. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. All of a sudden, someone said from back in the crowd, there was a voice that said, Never! And Catherine Booth stood up, walked down that aisle, and they went out and started the Salvation Army. Ladies, be in his corner, on his side. Give him the freedom to be a man. Number three, return to romance. Let me encourage the ladies to step up to the plate, to be the woman that he fell in love with. Well, my little Rufus is just not very romantic. But is that true, ladies? You know, I'm going to tell you something, ladies. Men have gotten a bad rap here. Because I don't know about most men in this room, but I think most of them are. I think most of them are very romantic. Ladies, could I ask you something? Can you tell me one man movie that doesn't have a beauty to rescue in it? If he's not romantic, then why is he drawn to those movies where there's a battle to fight and an adventure to live and a beauty to rescue? Even we serve a Lord and Savior. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, stepped down out of the, He stepped out of the streets of gold, out of the glory of heaven, put on the robes of man, and He came to rescue His bride, the church. And He's romantic. He loves you. He woos you. He cares about you. He laid down His life for you. And ladies, I want you to know something. That husband that is filled with the Spirit of Christ has that same romantic desire in his heart. But so often a woman will say, well, he's just not romantic. Maybe, ladies, you were the ones that quit being romantic. And it's easier to blame him. Cultivate romance. It is a lie that he doesn't want nor desires romance when every man movie today that is popular with men has a beauty to win, a beauty to rescue. Ladies, let me say this. A lack of respect for your husband will destroy romance. And I hear women all the time that say, well, I can't respect him. He doesn't deserve my respect. The Bible says you're to love your enemy. The Bible says you're to have a servant heart. The Bible says you're you're to go to the second mile. The Bible says you're to submit. And I want you to understand something. When you honor, when you respect, the Bible says that children are to respect their honor, their parents. The word honor is respect. It doesn't say that it's conditional based on certain prerequisites. If I got good parents, then I honor them. It says honor your parents. It's a command. It's in the imperative. Ladies, respect your husband and you may find the romance that you desire. Listen to this quote. So powerful. The less a man feels like a real man in the presence of a real woman, the more vulnerable he is to porn and infidelity. I added infidelity. John John Eldridge had that quote. He said, the less a man feels like a real man. You hear that, ladies? The less a man feels like a real man in the presence of a real woman the more vulnerable he is to porn and infidelities. Ladies, you are critical in the life of your husband and his holiness. And if you're not romantic, 
and you're not that woman seeking to be the woman he fell in love with, then there will be a problem. Ladies, be a fight. What do you mean by that? Some of you young women that are dating right now, be a fight. Hold on to your virginity. Hold on to your integrity. Don't compromise those areas because that's not romance. Make him respect you. If the three things that a man wants, if the three things that a man desires a battle to fight, then ladies, be a battle for him to obtain you. Last one. Men who want to give up control. You see, in verse 6, I wrote this down just to quote, again, Adam was not off doing a man thing. He was right there by Eve's side, relinquishing control, and she was glad to get it. Some men don't want the responsibility. They don't want the responsibility. They don't want the control. They are glad to give it over, and they're married to women that will take it. Ladies, listen closely. Don't take it. Refuse it. Well, Brother Jeff, he may mess up. He may make a mistake. He's not very good with finances. He may blow it. That's right. Let him blow it. Let him make mistakes. Because you may be allowing him to learn the lessons that his mom and dad never let him learn. Let him grow up, make mistakes, and be a man. But ladies, whatever you do, Don't take the control, don't take the authority, even when he tries to give it to you. Refuse it. Say no. You're the husband, you're the father, you're the leader, you're the pastor, you're the under-shepherd, you're the head of this home. If you make a mistake, then you'll have to get us through it. Makes all the difference in the world. Let's close with this. Men, look at verse 9. Isn't this interesting? Verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. Let's go ahead and stand. Then the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Very things that God had given to bless their lives, they're now hiding behind Now look what it goes on to say. Verse 9, men, are you looking? But the Lord God called to who? Called to who? Let's say it loud. But the Lord God called to who? The man. Eve Eve negotiated this. Eve was involved in all of this. Verse 6, the Bible says in the Hebrew that he was right there by her side. He was right there. He was listening to everything that was going on. He was giving that authority over to her. He was saying, look, you take this, you handle it. He was not being the man God had called him to be. And in verse 9, God does not hold Eve accountable. The first thing God does is say, Adam, where are you? Can I ask you something? Do you think God knew what had transpired? even as he was calling Adam. Did, did he... Did, okay, let me ask you a question. No, an answer. Did God know everything that had transpired up to that point between Adam and Eve and, and Satan? Yes. Okay. 
Who does he hold accountable? He holds the man. Did he know the excuses they'd make? Lord, it's a woman you gave me. He didn't listen to any of that. He starts with the man, and watch, he ends with the man. Because see, that man is that that picture of Christ. He's that picture of Christ. And we, that woman, Eve, is the picture of the bride of Christ, the church. He loves us. And he desires a home that brings him honor and glory. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that you love us. Lord, we know that the enemy has a plan, and that is to kill, to steal, to destroy. You told us that in John 10.10. We know that he has a ploy, and that is to undermine that authority of that husband, that dad, that father, and that home. Father, we know that the enemy will do everything that he can to attack attack masculinity, to attack a man, to make a man step down and step away from that authority and not be the man you've called him to be. But God, we thank you that, dear Lord, when a man comes alive, when a man becomes a man, when he feels like a real man, when he begins to understand God's will and His purpose for his life, then He brings such a peace and a comfort and a strength to that home and to that family that the enemy can never take away. And Father, we pray right now that for every man, every young man in this room, that they are committed to You. We pray for the women of this room that they will help that man to step up and be the man that You've called their husband to be that they would understand that there is an adventure to live. There is a battle to fight. There is a beauty to win. May she be that in his life. If there are young women that are dating a a young man and and they're looking at that relationship, may they be a battle to fight. May they be an adventure to live. May they be a beauty to rescue. May they cultivate romance. And dear Lord, the times when they want to take the authority and make the decisions of life because they think it would be easier, may they refuse to do so. May they give their counsel, may they give their wisdom, may they give their advice, but then may they finally put their hand on his shoulder and say, but I'm going to trust you and whatever you think, that's what we'll do. Some men are beaten down and bruised up by a world that's made a laughing mockery of them. But that same world has made a mockery of a holy God. I pray today, dear Lord, for romance to return to marriages, to homes. That, dear Lord, you would do something in the life of every home here And we will give you the glory and the honor. And Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, how can they ever have the marriage that you want them to have? There are some men and women in this room, young people that are hiding. They're hiding in the things of the world. 
They're hiding behind the very blessings that God you've given them. But you're calling them and you're asking them to come out. Father, we pray that they will today and give their heart to you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus.